calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everybody Woof. before we get started woof is right to tell you some stuff we are we're gonna tell you some stuff we want to start just by saying dear 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 beautiful 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 scoobies um we recorded this episode that you're about to hear about a week and a half ago the world was already turning upside down at that point and in the time that has passed since then we've both been adjusting as best we can to the ever-changing circumstances in Los Angeles and New York. We've been doing our best to help our communities, to stay informed, to stay centered in what is um, a pretty chaotic time. It's a time that I know, and I know Jenny, you know too, can feel really overwhelming and scary to so many of us in so many different ways. Um, So we just want to say that, as always, we're here with you. The community that we have here at Buffering has held us up in so many ways, and we could not be more thankful to have you all with us, to have Buffy to share together, and to be a part of a community whose kindness and generosity knows literally no bounds. Indeed. Some news and updates for you before we dive into blood ties. First, ugh. Because of the global pandemic and to continue to do our best at keeping our community safe, our Brooklyn live taping and third annual prom have been rescheduled to July 31st and August 1st, respectively. All ticket holders should have received an update directly from the wonderful people at the Bell House to let them know that their tickets have been transferred accordingly. If you cannot make those dates, your tickets will be fully refundable through May 31st, 2020, and we will release new tickets as and if we have them and keep you posted. Our first show in Chicago this July sold out so quickly that we added a second show at 8.30 p.m. on July 12th at Sleeping Village. You can find all those details on our website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on events and look to July 12th. Yes, and thank you so much for selling out Chicago so quickly. Um, we're very excited wow, yes. to have two two back-to-back shows with all of you in Chicago. Um, also, listen, many of us have been inside of our homes for several days already, and we will likely be in our homes for many weeks to come. So here are some things that are happening in our orbit that might bring you some uh, online don't-need-to-leave-the-house joy. 
Um, yeah. So first of all, our listener, Emily has donated an incredible array of Buffy paraphernalia for us to use in a giveaway. Uh, the, the donation includes a framed min condition copy of the first Buffy comic, um, a plush, Mr. Pointy, the gem of, Ah! I know the gem of Amara Giles. Oh my God. It's a good, it's a good haul. Giles's green mug, the Funko pop of Giles, um, a replica of Buffy's cross necklace that angel gave to her and a zippered pouch featuring the bronze logo. So today, um, Wednesday on socials, we'll share the photo of these amazing items and we're going to select five people to win um, either one or a couple of these prizes. So how do you win? Here's how. You help your community. If you've donated to local organizations, if you've purchased gift certificates at your local bookstore, restaurants, bars, if you've donated funds supporting artists, supporting sex workers, supporting anyone who is so directly impacted by what's happening here and abroad. Um, If you've supported your community in non-monetary ways, if you've watered plants for an absent neighbor, if you've ran errands for an elderly or immunocompromised person, you've entered to win this contest. So all you have to do is email us at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. Just use the subject line, find the helpers with whatever you've done. Just put whatever you've done in the email. This is what I did. You don't have to send us receipts. You don't have to just tell us what you've done. Use that subject line and we'll pick five of you out of there to win those prizes. And um, we'll select everyone who sends us that email to direct our Care Bear stare style love at you forever and ever and ever. Um, Amen. Also, in addition to this, so we over in Patreon, we've had a pen pal swap for some time. We're opening that pen pal swap up to everyone. You don't need to be a patron supporter of ours to join. It is a great time to sit and write letters, to get letters, um, and to just connect in some of these ways that we can't do when we're up and about and um, living our lives in a very different way than we are now. So we will put that link up on our Twitter, on our Instagram, on our Facebook page uh, this week, and you can this week sign up if you'd like to get a buffering pen pal. Wow. Sick. Yes. Yes. And thank you. And thank you to Michaela, who is our listener, who runs that pen pal swap and who's, who is so just like every other Scooby in this universe, right? Wrote me back immediately. Cause I was like, Hey, maybe we can like open this up. And Michaela wrote back immediately and was like, I've just been wanting to help. And I don't know how, and I'm so happy to do Mm. this. Thank you so much. And I, I think a lot of us are feeling that right now, you know, like how, how can we help? What can we do? And, um, so, so thank you, Michaela for doing this on, on our behalf. Bless Michaela. Mm -hmm. Over on Patreon, we will continue with our digital lives to keep you company as well. Kristen's next book club happening in our Patreon Slack channel will be on Saturday, March 28th at 2 p.m. Eastern. The discussion will center on Gideon the Ninth, a book written by a queer woman about lesbian necromancers in outer space. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah, that's pretty Uh, good. Also, great. Also, I'll be doing a very special Facebook hang where I discuss, are you ready? Xena, you know, the warrior princess with a focus <laughs> on the episodes in season one with a with a hyper focus on the episode Callisto. Wow. Don't know what do you think about that. Don't know Come what that means, prepared. but I'll tune there in will to be find spoilers. Out. <laughs> uh, and we will be doing a fun throwback bonus episode for our $10 patrons where we talk about an episode from season three with brand new eyeballs. You'll vote on which you'd like us to discuss. You can join our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash buffering cast. And today, head over there for our interview with Kevin Weissman, who plays Dreg, available for free for all. Yes. And just so you know, uh, Jenny will be doing that Xena warrior princess meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer conversation on Facebook on Saturday, April 4th. 
at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. And our bonus episode where we're going to revisit some fun episode from season three that will go up uh, later next week. So um, we're we're at home, you're at home, and we'd like to all have fun together as much as possible. Yes. Hey, one other um, silver lining amidst all of the chaos in the world right now is that um, a lot of those of us who podcast have found ourselves at home with microphones and little else. So guess what? Joanna Robinson and I are going to be collaborating on a brand new podcast called Feels Like the First Time. If you paid attention uh, to what was happening with Joanna and I on the storm and Star Wars, you know that I had never seen a Star Wars, and I would tell Joanna what I thought Star Wars was about then I would watch the movie and we would discuss it. And it was so much fun. And lucky for all of you, I have seen pretty much nothing. I've never seen any Indiana Jones movies. I've never seen any James Bond movies. I've (laughs) never seen any Fast and Furious movies. So we have a running list of movies we're going to watch together while we are uh, stuck in our houses. And uh, we're going to format it where I talk about what I think will happen and then I watch and then we talk about how I feel about what actually happened. What we're going to do is put that podcast up on both the Buffering Patreon and the Storm podcast, that's Joanna Robinson's uh, Lost Rewatch podcast, The both feeds will have, for any level, so $2 and above on the Storm Patreon page or the Buffering the Vampire Slayer Patreon page, you'll all get that podcast. Um, we'll be launching it soon. It'll come out like whenever we watch the movies and you can watch along with us. Uh, we hope that it is another way to keep you company in a time that feels overwhelming. Feels like the first time. You know what I mean, Jenny? I do know what you mean. (laughs) Speaking of the first time and all the times after that, it's time for the Sexual Attention Awards. Is is anyone better at segueing than you? I've never, (laughs) I've really never experienced anyone better at it. Oh, thank you. I think you just have to have the mind of a teen boy uh, and chase that dream wherever it leads you. So the results for the checkpoint poll for for the STAs, um, surprising no one coming in fourth place with four percent of the vote it's xander and smashing the patriarchy (laughs) i just felt like his performance wasn't very convincing xander and smashing the patriarchy just don't have the chemistry we're looking for doing just slightly better with 14 percent of the vote in third place we have glory and buffy two blondes don't make a right you know what i mean (laughs) Jesus Christ. In second place. Wow. (laughs) Heating up. Heating up in second place. Put the kettle on. Two English people. We we very rarely get to nominate two people with English accents together at the same time. But here we are. And they've taken second place with 23% of the vote. It's Spike and Lydia, a.k.a. Lady Watcher. Not Lady Watcher, but a watcher who is a lady. (laughs) But also she might be a Lady Watcher We really didn't get to spend very much time with her. We know she's definitely a spike watcher. Okay, and then in first place, winning, sweeping the Sexual Attention Awards for Checkpoint with 59% of the vote, more than half of the vote. It's Buffy and Power. You know it is. Of course it is. What else could we do? What kind of podcast do you think you're listening to? I know. Wow. Jenny, incredible. Just a beautiful freestyle from Jenny Owen Young's. Oh, uh, thank you. Everyone. Now... We realize you're all very anxious to know now that you're 
locked in your homes with little else to think about. <laughs> you really want to know what the deal is with Old Man Seaver. <laughs> old Man Seaver? Old Man Seaver. Yes. Thank you. You oh see how memorable okay. my 11-year-old my writing is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Incredible character development. Um, old Man Seaver is on vacation this episode, but tune in next episode to get the... Uh, n- thrilling next installment of old man Seaver. yes yes we don't want to overwhelm you we had a lot to talk about in this intro and we want life to get... is spooky enough without it, yes, spooky news yes, right exactly now. okay so uh one last thing before we roll into uh blood ties which is a content note uh this episode blood ties deals with plot lines that involve self-harm which we will be addressing in our discussion today so now you know and um jenny i would love to just just dive right into the theme song and and get to one one and a half weeks ago when we taped this episode a different time uh let's talk about blood ties shall we were we ever so young literally no (laughs) all right let's go Hello, (laughs) and welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, spoiler-free. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. Wow. And I'm Kristen Russo. And this week, we are talking about Season 5, Episode 13, Lucky 13, Blood Ties. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast every other week for an original song written by Jenny, recapping the Buffy episode we are discussing. Uh, Also, if you haven't started listening to our Angel podcast, Angel on Top, hosted by Brittany Ashley and Laura Zach, you should get on over there and do that for yourself. Honestly, it is a supernatural delight. (laughs) Blood Ties, Blood Ties was written by Stephen S. DeKnight, directed by Michael Gershman, acted by Sarah Michelle Geller, <laughs> Michelle Trachtenberg, James Marsters, Christine Sutherland, Anthony Stewart Head, Amber Benson, Allison Hannigan, Nicholas Brendan. Wow. You took a big risk. Did you say Emma Caulfield? I was getting there. I saved like, the best. Yeah, you're going to forget somebody in that last. list, you know? Uh, and it originally aired on February 6th, 2001. This is the one. This is a big one. IMDb does <laughs> not say that, but Kristen Russo does. This is the one. When Dawn learns her true identity, she runs away only to encounter glory. There's a lot. Ah! We got a lot, Jenny. And I have to tell okay. you, I was not like fully prepared for how I should be as the producer of this podcast should have been more prepared for everything that was in this episode I was not and I was like oh wow we learn a lot um we learn a lot and also like this is a good goddamn episode of television yeah it's very tight the writing is fantastic everyone is performing on all cylinders like the acting is so great. 
Agree. And also, like, this is so we're almost right in the heart of it. Season five, right? Like, this is kind of like smack dab in the center of all of these things that we've been working towards. And we know a lot now. We just learned Gloria is a god. We've known that Dawn is the key, but Dawn's going to learn that she's the key. We know Gloria needs the key. Now there's these fucking... I, I moved to call them the Knights of Hacky Sack um, moving forward mm. because at one point in this episode, <laughs> Buffy calls them the Knights of Hack and Sack? No, of... Nope. Ha- hack and Slash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And I heard Hacky Sack, so... Sure, uh, sure, sure. We get the, the stupid... Right, we get the stupid Knights, and then we learn a lot about Glory sort of like right at the top of this episode. So I just feel like... Yes, good writing, but also we're sort of like finally in this place where we have so many pieces to play with, which is yeah, yeah, exciting yeah. and um, emotionally resonant, one might say. So it's Buffy's birthday again. She's <laughs> turning 20 and she should really know by now that when it's her birthday, she should leave town. Yeah. Uh, stay locked in a motel room for three days. Oh, a motel room. I wonder who's there waiting for her to celebrate her birthday. Dude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, speaking of faith, Uh um, we need to organize some kind of, I need to make a PowerPoint presentation for you, uh, about all the ways in which (laughs) Xena ran so Buffy could also run. Oh, wow. Uh, So are you talking to me or are you talking to our listeners? I'm talking to you, but I'm saying it in front of our listeners so that (laughs) they will hold us to it because it's a very important conversation. Yes. In case you missed it on on Jenny's social media, she has been re-watching Xena Warrior Princess. Um, That's right. Yeah. So that's what's happening. And you're having a lot of feelings. And I think that we can all collectively say that we enjoy PowerPoints that are born out of your powerful TV feelings. So please create Beautiful. Okay. I just want to say it here and now. So that's, I know it's not, okay. That's not why we're here today, but okay. Onward. Uh, Speaking of like being in a celebratory mood, Buffy is wearing what looks like she pulled a strip from off of a disco ball and wrapped it around her neck. There's nothing else Mm. shiny about her outfit at all. It's completely out of context. And I don't know if she's just feeling festive or what. I mean, 20 is a big year. But I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to put a put a pin in it. Okay, so let's like get over the exposition hill here. Uh, we learned that Glory ruled over a hell dimension that was. I wrote in my notes. I'm so sorry. Soups intense. I don't know why. I don't know what happened to me in that moment, but that's what I wrote. Uh... And I'm coming clean with two mm. other gods. So she's part of a thruple of gods, which right, I'm right. into. And me she, too. And All she, about it. <laughs> Not enough uh, god thruple representation yeah. in media. And she's weakened because she's in human form, which limits her powers. We also like are told explicitly that she, in order to survive, she absorbs the energies that combine the mind into a cohesive whole. Uh, I would like some science to back that up. I want to know what these energies are that combine our minds into a Just cohesive... A juice. Just the brain juice. <laughs> you got to get that juice out, you know. Uh, but uh, for whatever reason, being on Earth and in human form, her mental health is deteriorating because she's rapidly losing this juice, this vital brain juice. Yes. Giles is making tea. Very typical of Giles. He's got nice. his green mug. 
He also makes Buffy a tea, which I don't know that I've ever witnessed before. And please write into us at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com to let me know if I'm wrong. But I at least noticed it very dramatically that he hands her. Well, a cup she's of tea. 20 now, <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> the legal tea drinking age. Yes, yes of course. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, uh, just a quick note, just a reminder we've seen them all drinking alcohol at the bronze. So they're all, well, not all, not Anya, but like Willow, Tara. Xander, Buffy, they're all not legal drinking age. Right. Unless Sunnydale has a special caveat amendment to their... Oh, true, true. Like maybe maybe because... Like maybe if your town is on the Hellmouth, you are drinking age is lower to 18, which seems fair. Would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I would agree with that amendment. So the big thing in this scene is, of course, that... Right now, Joyce, Giles, and Buffy are the only ones who know about Dawn being the key. And I would like to kind of open this up to a meta convo with you, Jenny. Um, on There's a big back and forth about who's wrong and who's right about having told Dawn yet, having told the Scoobies yet. Do you think, like, would you have done this differently? Would Do you think Buffy should have told the Scoobies sooner? Do you think that she should have told Dawn sooner? Where do you fall? Well, honestly, I think it's like a lot is made in this scene about how like she wanted to protect them by mm-hmm. not giving them this information but to me it seems way more clear that she wanted to protect Don the fewer people who actually yeah. know Don's nature the fewer people can be tortured until they tell glory right right and i agree and i i i feel really torn about it especially because this show obviously and we're going to dig into this but this show uses the fantastical to also you know, play with real life themes. And I think that they're one of the many themes that are brought to the the surface in this episode are themes of like being adopted, right? Like not being Mm -hmm. blood family um, and how that works, how that looks and how that can impact the adopted child who might not have been told um, at an earlier age. And so, you know, again, trying to like peel out these things of like, what is the fantasy? What is the reality? And which are we talking about when we discuss it? In the fantasy, right. Buffy is, like, choosing not to tell Dawn and and them, I agree, because the more people know, and they kind of prove the fucking point within the first few seconds of knowing. Like, Dawn is in so much more danger than she has ever been in the minute that the Scoobies know because they're not good at keeping secrets. They're good at a lot of things, but not that. No. Especially Willow. I don't, usually it is especially Willow. I mean, Willow has the worst history, like the worst track record of keeping secrets. But yeah, just statistically, she's the one I'm worried about. Yes, yes. But I mean, I don't know who does a worse job after they find out. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, but before we get to everyone being the worst at this, let's talk about fucking Byzantium Kumbaya town. Oh, the Knights of Hackysack? Yes, let's, please. The Knights of Hackysack are in their, (laughs) as you called it, their forest office. Yes, before we started recording, I was like, because I said to Jenny, so this is the episode where Dreg dies. And Jenny was like, really? And I said, yes, because I interviewed Kevin Weissman, who plays Dreg. Uh, And so just a little heads up, we interviewed Kevin Weissman, who plays Dreg. And if you go over to our Patreon right now, it's free for everybody. So patreon.com slash bufferingcast. You can also just go to the website, click on Patreon. It is up. It just went up today with this episode. You can hear us talk to Kevin about his time as one of Glory's mid which is super fun. But Jenny, you didn't realize that drag, this was drag's RIP moment, right? 
I really didn't. There's a lot. It's dark. There's a lot of brown robes and chain mail just yeah. flying around. One of them, one of the minions comes in on a swinging rope for, I'm pretty sure, absolutely no reason. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, when you're in a forest office, you know, you got to use sure, the sure, supplies. Sure, 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 sure. But yeah, those minions, they're attacking the Knights of Byzantium. They get whooped. But then just when you think Jinx, right? It is Jinx. It's going to get it. Yeah. Uh, thwap. Somebody catches the blade of Orlando, the knight, uh, and prevents <laughs> Jinx's death. Yeah. Uh, and says, never send a minion to do a god's work, which is a rule we would all do well to keep in our hearts and uh, yes. use. Also a great play on never send a man to do a woman's work, if you ask me. Jenny also Onion. true. Oh, what a great uh, place for me to play the patriarchy jingle. Patriarchy. Coming right out of the patriarchy jingle, I would like to point out that Glory does all of this wearing a red jumper. Uh, Glory's signature color, of course, is red, and she just finds so many ways at it. So I just want to give her a nod for this yeah. beautiful jumper. Yeah. Looking great. Glory. Also, Jenny, the key is the link. The link must be severed. This is a big theme in this episode for the Knights of Such is the will of God, excuse me. So the Knights of Byzantium do this in service to one god. We're going to just guess the Christian god. They have a real strong Christian vibe. They do. I agree. So I think it's interesting that in the lore of the show, the Christian god is aware of glory and her, like, co-thruple gods right and and maybe like you know bazillions of other dark gods it's just interesting like maybe they know each other from way back maybe they know each other from camp or (laughs) uh, oh my god it's like american god god scouts god scouts (laughs) they're like remember that god that ate men with her vagina (laughs) oh yes hell yes So, um, right. And we don't, I mean, to be fair, we we definitely don't know that these are Christian-based um, religious humans. But I agree. They're given that sort of energy in the show. Yeah. Um, and when you're watching like an American TV show and there are some knights on a holy quest referring to God as just God. Yes. And there's one of them. You tend to assume that it's a Christian thing. And their whole thing, Jenny, is... Uh, their whole thing is destroy the key, right? They want to destroy the key. And so I think this is like, we were getting into it a little bit with Ira, but it's like, if the gods, if if the Knights of Byzantium are correct in their thesis statement, which is destroy the key, and then, right? It's like, then glory won't be able to get back or glory will be destroyed. Something bad will happen. Something good for the Knights and bad for glory, right? That's the logic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Then mm -hmm. why... I ask, along with I'm sure many of you all, did the monks not just destroy the energy to begin with? Like I well, maybe, maybe they're, you know, maybe it was beyond their their power scope to destroy the key. Maybe they don't know how to destroy the key. Maybe the key is indestructible, which actually, if Dawn gets wind of that, she'd probably be feeling pretty cool. Also, maybe the key couldn't be destroyed if it wasn't in a vulnerable form, like the form of Dawn. Ugh. These are my theories. And what's fun about me is I'm a goldfish, so you think I'm pretending, but I actually don't know if any of this gets answered. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so cut to, after the credits, 
Willow and Tara <laughs> doing safety sand arts and crafts outside the magic box. In full view. Uh, this is sort of like the county fair, you know, sand art in a jar, but then you <laughs> dump the jar out on the ground outside of your patriarch's place of business to protect your friend's <laughs> mystical energy key sister, a tale as old as time. Dawn walks up wearing, are you ready? I Dawn am ready. shirt watch. Wearing a shirt that says Little Miss Drama. Oh. In Little Miss the, Drama. In the context of this episode, it is just a delightful nugget. It's like truly beautiful that they are like, you know what would be fun is if she wears this shirt for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. listen, Dawn is the center of all of the drama in this in this one. Yeah, she's like the eye of the storm. So she's kind of like she interacts with with Willow and Tara, and then she goes in and interacts with Buffy, Giles, uh, Anya, and Xander, and everyone is doing a terrible job trying to just be cool I mean, around Dawn. You make a very pretty girl. <laughs> I'm sorry, Xander <laughs> tickles her, which makes me vomit on the microphone. This is a 14-year-old yeah. girl, and he is doing I mean, it so that he can feel that she's real. Xander, what in the motherfuck, honest to God, uh, Tara and Willow do better than Xander and Anya in this. Which is saying, well, yeah. <laughs> I love also this moment where Xander's trying to like back away and is like, hey, I need help with that thing. And Anya's like, Xander needs help with his thing. <laughs> Uh, love. <laughs> Anya's like love. default to make jokes about sex as a way to distract from the lie is, I mean, I think it's a good tactic, yeah. you know, like I'm not going to falter there. Meanwhile, Don clocks Giles putting his little journal away. I'm Giles so, diary. I'm so mad about this diary because you know what, Jenny, in this diary should be like, Joyce looks really pretty today. Not Don is the key. It's the, well, that's the. I'm sorry. I don't mean to get ahead you know, of her. You know, when you know a secret, maybe don't write it down. Literally, like, 101 diary rule. He's supposed to be in charge, kind of. There's not even a little lock that never worked anyway. But, like, you know oh, what yeah. I mean? Those little locks that they put on diaries. I understand. I just feel like Dawn could have... Here's the. Here's my, my issue with a little bit of the writing. Because I agree. This is a great episode of television. But I think that Dawn could have pieced together the truth um, from Giles's notes that we learn when we'll get into this later. But I, I just cannot imagine that they wouldn't have told the Scoobies even and that he's going to write this down. So I just, whatever. Well, we'll get there in a little bit. I have some things to say about the diary. But first, Don accuses Buffy of freaking out because she <laughs> has to fight someone prettier than her. <laughs> Which um, Buffy does not seem to feel this way. Glory and Buffy are two beautiful ladies slash hell gods slash slayers, and everyone's doing great. Okay. I do think that this dig from Dawn is is fun, though, because I think that there is something to Buffy's feelings about Glory being, as we've discussed, like another petite blonde and like and stronger than her, you know, that it's probably yeah. like a little bit of a deeper burn. So I don't think Dawn nails it with the prettier, but I do think she kind of nails it with the you know, this girl is similar to you and it's freaking you out. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, she's usually coming up against large gentleman trolls <laughs> and uh, various vampires. Okay, so Glory is torturing 
Orlando, the Knight of Byzantium. Why will who, you not just call them the Knights of Hacky Sack? Just make fetch that's happen. That's your thing. Ugh. That's your thing. Uh, and he's played by a fellow named Justin Gorance, who is from Zimbabwe. Oh. And I wanted you to know that I looked up his IMDb and he is known for his work on Buffy, Melrose Place, and in the feature film From Justin to Kelly. Stop it. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And also, Deeply those were the exciting. three things I recognized. And then there was like one more credit, which is a, a movie called The Sexperiment. <laughs> the Sexperiment. <laughs> the Sexperiment. So this gentleman who kind of looks like a cross between Blake Mills and Nathan Fillion, which is, I feel like, the Venn diagram mm. of people who will have visual uh, ideas in their head for both of those people. Seems kind of small, but for those of you who know, now you know. And he's not giving any info up to Glory, and then she sucks out his brain. Yeah, so I, to me, this confirms that the Knights of Hacky Sack are human. Because, oh, yeah. It, like, because we had, like, a little bit of a back. Like, are they human? Is it confirmed that they're human? And I feel like this is just a given. Like, you, she ha- she must be sucking the, the brain juice out of only humans. I have a question about that later, actually. But um, I'm using this as my evidence to prove once and for all that the Knights of Hacky Sack are humans. Agreed. Great. Uh, is there a greater joy on this earth than watching Anya watch Buffy open birthday presents? No, and as a matter of fact, Jenny, I think we cannot go any farther before we hear Anya talking about the birthday presents. This is extremely suspenseful. I want the presents. <laughs> it's just, she has a moment later in the scene where she's like, wants the dress and she's like you know you were all thinking it and that's like Anya's defining characteristic and reminiscent of course of our beloved Cordelia right is like she's saying these things and she's like are you kidding me that when you watch somebody open presents there's not a part of you that just like wants to be the one opening the presents like stop yeah, yeah, playing yeah. <laughs> Lo- love Giles saying well not me I have one just like it at home God, the daddiest of all the dad jokes yeah <laughs> uh, and then Grab your tissues, everybody, because Dawn gives Buffy a framed photo of them at the beach with seashells from that beach walk glued around the edge of the frame, and everyone gets very emotional. <laughs> and it's very sweet. It is it's very, very sweet. moving. It is. But Dawn's starting to really clock how everybody's being weird around her. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, and Anya and Xander are like, deny till you die. We were talking about sex, oh, actually. Oh, this is a great moment. Like, w- you know, sometimes uh, there's a fireman. Sure. Or we can a get behind shepherd, that. a sexy shepherd so with a big me, crook and you, a long robe. Probably a beard. I just want to know. Okay, so if Xander's a fireman, then Anya is like, in a burning building. Save me, right? Sure. Yeah. We you think it. Anya's maybe the sheep in the shepherd? You think she's the actual sheep? <laughs> or she's like a milkmaid. Yeah, she's a milkmaid, and then there's gonna there's like a mountain lion attack. But the shepherd has yes. his big crook, and he's gonna chase the mountain lion away. Is that what that thing is called? A crook? Uh, yeah. Wow, that's a fun euphemism. So uh, I had to use one once because I worked on a farm and the gate where the 50 sheep were were at mm-hmm. uh, got got loose, got open and they all got out. And I had to get the shepherd's crook and and kind of 
just gently encourage them to get back in their what? zone. What do you do with the crook? Well, you can like there's you know it has like the hooked end, so you can like if you need to maybe like like I feel like, like I, use it as a leash. Um, I guess you can. I also feel like I'm I'm picturing uh, illustrations from books where like a sheep has fallen into a ravine and it's just like hanging on to like a little root that's sticking out of the ground and the shepherd like gets the sheep with the crook and like lifts it up kind right. of like a fireman kind of in a fireman-y way oh, wow. so maybe are... the shepherd and the fireman are the same guy and it's xander okay moving but it was, on but xander was the shepherd and then like time travel so it's like that song you wrote jenny where the couple finds themselves what? again and again over okay. time and space okay. based on an x-files yeah. episode if i'm not uh, mistaken yes. so yes, it's correct. like that but it's xander every time and wow. anya yeah so sure great um i i really beautiful i don't think that anya plays the sheep uh, i think that anya plays like a sexy milkmaid sexy milkmaid for sure sorry anya milkmaid. would love Just... playing a sexy milkmaid are you kidding me I mean, consider her nightgown. Just think about her pajamas real quick. And it's it's not much of a conversion. So Dawn is very distraught and huffs up to her room and probably climbs out the window. Listen. Setting off the greatest team up this show has seen to date. <laughs> yes. I just, why is it that when you have teenagers in your house, you put a trellis directly underneath their window. Yeah. Why well, that for safety, happen? so they don't just jump out the window and, like, break their ankle trying to go <laughs> to that kegger in the field. Right. Um. Yeah. Dawn gets out, and she's creeping away, and she backs right into Spike. I wasn't lurking. I was standing about, he says. It's a whole different vibe. <laughs> He's brought uh, a, like, Fucked up. I box. think it's that same shitty box of chocolates that he was he was yes. practicing with. <laughs> Spike, I love you. Spike, so dreamy. Spike, your trench coat. Spike, I love you. Spike, your black peroxide. What is the version of events where Spike gives this to Buffy? Like, does he go into the party? Does he wait till after? Does he hope that she comes out to cry on the steps again? Like, what? Ooh, what do you maybe. Yeah, maybe I, the last one. He's <laughs> just biding his time. Dawn is so tickled by the fact that Spike has shown up with a gift. Again, as she should be. She's sort of like uh, Lydia, the Spike fan fangirl in the last episode, mm. being like, what is your deal, though? Like, what? why would you? Why? Uh, yeah, and then yeah. Spike, yes, and I agree. What is the best pairing of this episode, perhaps? Very fun. Spike and Dawn uh, are in cahoots. They're in cahoots, and they're kind of like, I love Dawn, like, insulting the chocolates, being like, Buffy wouldn't touch anything from you anyway, and then being like, oh, you know, oh, I thought I was should be scared, but it's just you. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. really uh, cutting Spike down, but, like, in a very fun way. And she says she's going to go to the magic box to steal stuff. And he's like, well, there's a lot of bad stuff that could happen to you between here and there. So I'm going to I'm going to come along and, and just watch you. your back, which is very sweet. It is, especially for Spike. Yeah, well, Spike's got a whole thing going on, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he really does. <laughs> so, yeah, they head to the magic 
checkbox. And this is very, this might be like where the Venn diagram hits its peak of um, Harriet the Spy and Buffy the Vampire Slayer because, ah. you know, I mean, she's really Harriet the Spying it up in there with her little flashlight digging around. I think I remember him putting it. I'm like, dude, you were there like two hours ago and watched him put it in the drawer. <laughs> right, but, okay. but it's like a, it's not a drawer with a handle, you know? It's a, oh. it's a drawer where she has to like reach around under the counter and find a latch and then it pops out, which... Is that a custom build? <laughs> yeah, I guess Xander if you were going to find that shit. <laughs> or if it was already there, then like, of course, in a magic shop. A magic shop would be the most likely retail environment to find a secret drawer. <laughs> and love that Spike picks the lock. It feels like he's being respectful. Yeah, Like he, he could just like break in, but he's like, mm, I got this. Yeah, he's like, I, I'm sorry I'm not quicker at this. I usually just knock the door down. <laughs> <laughs> So Dawn promptly finds that latch and she pulls out the Giles journal, which I was workshopping some uh, portmanteaus that we could Ooh. possibly use. The giles mm. Mm. the Jorials, mm. the Gyronal, <laughs> or we could just call it the Giles journal. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you would do that when all of those portmanteaus are so wonderful mm. to say. Gyrals. <laughs> okay, so... Dawn gets set up reading by the light of three candles, one of which is a big unicorn oh, candle. Don't know hey if you harm. noticed that. Yeah, that's from the days Yeah, of exactly. Harmony. We get this great moment where Spike is mucking around behind her looking for stuff, and he's like, oh, a troll hammer. He's so excited, and he, like, <laughs> picks it up, and it immediately crashes <laughs> to the ground because he's not strong enough to hold it. Right. And he's like, didn't go with my stuff anyway. He's like such a cat in that moment. <laughs> like, uh, no, no thanks. Gross. No, I wasn't even Stupid trying hammer. to. Yeah. Yeah, I just exactly. Wanted to, I just wanted to see like how hard it could hit the floor. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're also, and now I know. Spike and Don are also sharing the chocolates that he was going to give to Buffy, which is. <laughs> oh, shit. I missed that. That's it's great. really, it's like very fun. It's like, it's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer funny meets never-ending story like I you know how like in the never-ending uh, story he's got like his, he's like eating a sandwich yeah he's like by the candlelight oh, like, right. and he like stops himself <laughs> he yes. like eats half the sandwich and then he's like no better I can't save eat this the second me. half yet <laughs> this is a long fucking book better save this sandwich for later <laughs> so anyway the journal as we briefly talked about connects for Dawn some dots, right? That people who are living outside of reality, which Spike tries to define um, as many things, but one of those can be what he refers to as lunatics, um, but what we, I think, would refer to as the people who Glory has taken this um, uh, brain-binding juice out of, right? Um, those people can see uh, the key, the see the energy that is the key. And the only other things that can see the energy of the key are necromanced animals, which like A plus for getting necromancy in there. Yeah. Uh, Specifically of canine and serpent construct. Yeah. If only we had gotten a giant dog, you know. <laughs> right. That would have been nicer. But so Dawn is like, Dawn is reading this stuff out loud and she's seeing flash. She's flashing back to people who have approached her on the street to tell her there's like nothing inside or, you know, right. that she isn't real. And she's flashing back to the snake. And then it's, I think, very important that Spike takes over reading duties mm. uh, because I don't think Dawn can read what is about to get revealed. She can't read it herself. Like, it's more powerful right. 
Right. For somebody else to be. T- and they're the only people in the main cast who remain that who don't, don't know, know that Dawn is the key. Yeah. And I, I think it's re- I think it is really like special. I mean, obviously, like traumatic and we'll get into that. But it's it is very special that like Spike is reading it to her, but also finding out as he reads. Right. Um, right. You know, and 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 of course, James Marsters, as always, doing just a fantastic job carrying so many different like emotional bits in this scene and this episode yeah so yeah this is massive and then spins us off into the rest of this very intense episode before we get there why not jenny have some less intense words from our sponsors Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. So I just want to say before we vault off of this very springy springboard Mm -hmm. that I think the choice to have Spike kind of uh, like stumble, I I think between the writing and James Marster's performance, the the sort of like stumbling and like misreading a word because like Giles handwriting is really small and he's he really sounds like, yeah, he's reading and thinking and taking it in all at the same time. It's like such a great moment and then he gets to this part where it says that the monk sent the key to the slayer in human form in the form of a sister and then we get this like look from spike to dawn Mm. and he says huh (laughs) i guess that's you niblet Niblet. and it's like damn dude yeah and, you know, I think Spike Spike has always been um, one of the characters that we've talked about with, like, a lot of, like, foresight and um, knowledge into, like, emotional matters and also is a mm-hmm. character who has, you know, died and lived uh, a long undead life, has experienced a lot. And in these moments, you know, Spike has a very specific delivery. It's like if if Xander was the one who had read that or Willow or something, you know, the, the moment would be so different. But... Spike's like, you know, been there, done that, seen it all. Whoa, dude, right. that's a big deal. But like not knocked off of his feet because this is sort Which of- like is so important, I think, to sort of like to Dawn in this moment and to Buffy yes. later on when they're looking for Dawn. Like he's definitely got more perspective and more of a long view than anybody else because he's been alive for so long. Right. You know, and he does have that high emotional IQ mm-hmm. he's able to sort of like see things zoomed out way more zoomed out than anybody else yes yes likely a product of living you know hundreds of years although I'm not sure the angel got that uh <laughs> 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 I don't know if angel picked up on that but most oh, of the rest angel of has his moments yeah no he does <laughs> so cutting to like what what's really on everybody's mind what everybody really wants to know yes 
did Buffy get a birthday card from Riley? Listen, I'm really <laughs> glad you brought it up, Jenny, because I just want to take a moment um, in this little amusing bubble that we will then have to pop to think about if Riley had sent a birthday card, what what kind of birthday card do you think Riley Finn would have sent to Buffy Summers? Like what what kind what what do you think would be on the cover? Golden retriever wearing sunglasses and a party hat. <laughs> Uh, and then inside it's like, it's rough to be away from you on your birthday. (laughs) What do you think? Well, I would like to choose that option, but I, in my thinking of it, I kind of thought that Riley, like, I kind of thought that Riley would get a card like like your mom would get for you. Like, like one of those cards. Yeah, well, that's, that's basically what. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, actually, that is the card that your actual mom, uh, Jenny, would oh, get Oh, yeah, you. yeah, yeah. So I guess maybe we have the same answer, but different moms. So uh, right, my mom right. would get for me those cards that already have, like, the poem on the front, but then she would, like, underline it as though she had written it herself, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like, here are the really important words. Right. Like, And the wor- important words would be, like, you or, like... <laughs> <laughs> So I just feel like maybe Riley would get a card like that that was like deeply emotional, but where he didn't write the words, but wanted to convey some of his like emotional feelings to Buffy. Mm -hmm. But we'll never know. Or just a card that was like balls. (laughs) It was like all different sport balls on the front. But we'll never know because Riley's too busy respecting Buffy's space to to send her a birthday card. Sure. Or he's like uh, and, and walking through the jungle. Who knows? Well, probably both. Right. Um, okay. But uh, but Buffy comes up with a new plan: birthdays without boyfriends. Oh, uh, right. A program I've been involved in for thirty-eight years. <laughs> I got thirty-nine on you. So uh huh. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> so they're having this like fun. I mean. <laughs> It's not fun, exactly fun. Fun, fun relatively Bittersweet, speaking. Yeah. But like making the best of it, making jokes about it. And then Tara, and of course it would be Tara, yeah. sees Dawn across the room. Yeah. And so this turns a very, very hard corner. I think in the season, um, you know, not just the episode, but definitely in the episode where Dawn has, uh, you know, as we could understand it, come home from the magic box with the knowledge that she is a mystical force, that she didn't exist, uh, you know, however, she doesn't know anything at this point. Um, and she has cut herself. Um, and she's walked in and she's bleeding. Um, and she says, is this blood? What am I? Am I real? Am I anything? Uh, and, and I tweeted about this and I, I texted you earlier today, Jenny, about it because you know, shows like Buffy use metaphor to also talk about real things like high school is hell, Mm -hmm. right? The most obvious one in Buffy. And uh, dating is fucking rough and dudes can be assholes. Uh, And so I think that, you know, we are seeing the fantastical, which is that like quite literally Dawn has just like learned that she is actually not a human being, like that she is a mystical force and she cannot comprehend that. She does not actually know if she exists. And the first thing that she does is she wants to to see, like, then what the fuck is inside? Like, what am I? Um, But then on the reality, this is a 14-year-old girl and 
self-harm is uh, something that is very common and and I think that you and I can both speak to and have had experience with and many of our listeners, this is a real thing. And so there's two things for us to look at. And I think we we will now and maybe as the episode goes on. But Jenny, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it ma- it's, it's tough because it, I think it does make sense as a standalone right. kind of existential crisis moment for her to be discovering that she is not what she has thought herself to be mm-hmm. and then looking to the most directly obvious place for an answer that she can think of well if yeah. i'm not a human then what's inside of me right right but it is right like it's confusing and conflated with this other narrative mm-hmm. that is also you know can be really interwoven into existential crises experiences yes uh, of self-injury it's it's i don't think it's a spoiler to say they never really come back this is a you know basically like a one shot that they don't come back to this it's not like a developing right narrative so it sort of ends here which on one hand i feel like does make sense and on the other hand i could see like how it might feel like something is being kind of like used in a way to sort of like move the plot or, or like something is being touched on that's like bigger and much more serious. It's just kind of like the teeny tiny tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. of like a very real thing. Right. Uh, that, and, but it's not explored or or even like really addressed. Right. And we heard from like one of our listeners who wrote in to say like this episode was actually super pivotal for me because when it happened, my mom said like, you know, that's what, how stupid for this girl to do that. And this person got very upset and it wound up sort of getting to a place where they both wound up in tears. And this person s- said, you know, I do these things and was able to like seek help and, and talk to somebody and what have you. So, you know, there there is something to be said for this being in the episode, but it is where, and I think the show grapples with this with a lot of things is that how do you move a sci-fi fantasy show along its plot, um, you know, well, cleanly, and also touch on things that are very real and very serious and do both responsibly. And I, and I know that you, I know that it's possible. I'm certainly like, I'm not saying that to say like, well, it's not possible to do both. Um, cause it is, but I think that it's difficult. And I think that what winds up happening often is it's in this show and in others is that we see some, but then it's like, well, now what do we do with it? Like, now what do we do with it when we got like that we've gotten here? How do we, do we go further? Or like, maybe we can just go somewhere else. So I just think it's important to put a like to for us to talk about it um, and and also to talk about it in the larger context of the trauma contained within this show, which we get episodes that look at that. And this is one of them. Uh, and it, and it's always like shocking, right, because this is a, a television show and there's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of fun in it where, you know, having many plot lines happening at once. But when you really think about the reality, the lived reality of the characters in this show they are all experiencing massive amounts of ongoing trauma. And Dawn right now is at the center of that storm. I mean, she has learned in an instant that everything she has known about herself is not what she thought it was, that her memories of her own life have been fabricated. All of the other people around her had trauma experiencing that as somebody else. Dawn has to carry this now as her. And that is something like to take it 
even one step out of the the self-harm that we see, like that is something that is going to impact Dawn and would impact Dawn forever. Um, That is a a massive trauma that happens to her in this episode. Yeah. You know what's really interesting that is just occurring to me for the first time? That this is actually maybe an incredible moment or an incredible piece of information for Dawn to get that could help Mm. her and Buffy Mm -hmm. relate to each other because Buffy is one girl in all the world and Dawn is, as she's just learned, one key in all of existence. Yeah. Uh, Which is pretty sick. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I was thinking about that when I said it, actually, that like, oh, I guess Buffy had a moment when she was, you know, all, basically Dawn's age, if we're really thinking about it, when everything she knew to be true about the world and her identity became undone. She didn't lose yeah. her, um, like, biological tie to family, you know, but she did have this, like, everything you thought you knew is not true trauma. So I agree. They really do share that. And, man, really, hats off to Michelle Trachtenberg. This entire episode, but in this scene particularly, she is just doing it, man. She is like crushing so hard. And I I would I would say I feel like this is the episode where Michelle Trachtenberg shows us that she can keep up with with Sarah and with James. Yeah. Too. I mean, like the scenes that she shares with each of those are who are like two of the strongest performers, obviously, on the show. Mm Mm-hmm. I, it's just she's just incredible. And and it was hard for me to appreciate on my earlier watches of the show because I was so like, oh, my God, who is this kid? Yeah. Get me out of here. Yeah. But she's really doing amazing, amazing work. I agree. I agree. She does. I mean, and it. I, I think that it, it starts in this moment and like carries through to th- through the episode because when we see her, even in what I love too about this episode is that we go right from this moment to Joyce and Buffy being upstairs with her. And it's sort of, it just mirrors, I think, a, a lot of traumatic experiences that there's like this traumatic moment happens and then you're upstairs and you're talking, but that's not the end, right? Like that isn't, it's not like Buffy and Joyce can talk to her and make it better. They literally cannot right. make it better. Um, and so then after they talk to her, we see her then going through a second round of destruction, this time on physical objects in her room, on her journal, which she finds, you know, uh, to be these fake thoughts now. They they weren't even hers right. all along. Like these are the things she's struggling with. And um, I just think that that sort of journey that we go on in the episode is brilliantly done and beautifully done. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, talking about like mixed metaphors and maybe some of the power of of sci-fi and fantasy is that we can a lot of times lay our own experiences over the stories in ways that feel so true. Whereas like in a show that's based in reality, like this would be a self-harm storyline or this would be a an adoption storyline or, you know, and, and this it's complicated because it's fantastical, but there's also a lot more going on. And this scene with Joyce and Buffy is really paralleling like adoption and like, why didn't you tell me? And I'm saying like, we wanted you to be older, um, not knowing your roots and the, and the theme that begins now and, and carries through the rest of the episode of like, she needs to understand who she is and where she comes from. Like she has to be Mm -hmm. able to learn her history to feel 
complete, um, which I think is understandable given the fact that she is learning at age 14, although, you know, debatable, six months, 14, as old as time. Who knows how old Dawn actually is? <laughs> <laughs> but that she's finding out at 14 um, in her memory bank that um, her her mom, Joyce, is not her biological mom. Her sister is not her biological sister. What does that mean? Um, and what right. does she need to know to form a picture of herself for herself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Buffy is now very motivated to get answers about the origin of the key for Dawn. And it's weird that she wasn't already motivated to get answers about the key right? Uh, for the purposes of thwarting glory. But here we are. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's something there, right, that, like, Buffy's norm is to, like, fight big bads, but when a member of her family is in direct peril, that energy shifts, Uh, and I I think that makes sense. I think that she values, I mean, this is kind of dark, I guess, but I I think that she values the life of her family um, much more than her own life. Um, Mm. you know, especially at this point in the series and especially because like she, I think on the level of knowing like my job is to fight evil, finds family and friends to be more vulnerable and, you know, that inspires the need to protect. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, listen, Michelle Trachtenberg, we cannot, uh, skip over the incredible scream of get out that you do. It is phenomenal. And I think, uh, sticks with many of us. (laughs) We remember this moment. Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Um, Yep, yep. And yeah, and so Buffy, right, she runs to the magic box. Um, Dawn deserves to know where she came from. I need to get her this information. I need to find out more information. Wait, what? Why is there ashtray in this whatever it's in? (laughs) Uh, The urn of Ishtar has been ashed in. (laughs) Uh, And Buffy's like, I know somebody that smokes and also does some light B&E. B&E? Breaking and entering. Oh, yes. And uh, who also does his own nails. Yeah. So she sweeps over to Spike's crypt and a lot of misplaced anger here. How could you let her find out like that? Lady. Mm-hmm. Lady. Take a look in the mirror. Well, and what I love uh, about Spike, right, is that like as obsessed with Buffy as he is, he's still like lady (laughs) yeah yeah exactly love love to see him kind of shine a light like he just found out too like he had no idea yeah and Uh, and nobody tells him anything and like all of this was within buffy's control not his and what we do know about clearly mad at herself Right. What we know about Spike at this point as the viewer is that had Spike known, which, you know, I mean, I can certainly get behind not telling Spike for a variety of reasons, but Mm -hmm. we know because we can see the inner workings in the background of what's happening with Spike, that had he known, he would have made sure that she did not go to the magic box. Um, Like we, We know that his mission is to protect her because he is obsessed with. Buffy and wants to do anything mm-hmm. to gain Buffy's favor. So um, he's making points, but I, you know, Buffy has at least a, a bit of like to stand on here with the fact that what she knows of Spike is that with the information, he could be up to no good. He might even be up to no good right now. Who's to say? Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, Dawn back at home, a super, super um, horrible moment when she turns to Joyce and says, you're not my mother. 
Um, Ugh, brutal. Yeah. Brutal. All, all again, like part of Dawn's um, emotional journey through this trauma that has just happened. And, and I, you know, we don't see like a bunch of the detail, but it is clear, I think, that both Buffy and Joyce, as hurt as they might be by Dawn's acting out, are very understanding of the fact that this is coming from a place where she is acting out because she is so, um, you know, devastated and upended yeah. by this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hey, something else that we see in this episode a little bit later uh, is um, Glory and Ben morphing into each other, which <laughs> sure, yes, might just be relevant when we hear the next scene between Jinx and Ben. And uh, Ben says, Glory can't lay a finger on me. We don't know why when he says it, but uh, we kind of learn why later in the, in the episode. Right, what? Right. <laughs> we'll get there. Right. And this comes up because Ben goes into the ward with everyone who's had their brain juice sucked out Mm -hmm. and recognizes the tattoo on the forehead of Orlando. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Byzantium. You love calling him Orlando. Like, I had no idea what his name was. And you've said Orlando like 12 times in this episode. It's a fun name to say. Let me live. (laughs) Yeah. And um, Jinx has this line that I think is really cool where he says the Knights of Byzantium are like ants. First you see one, Mm -hmm. then two. Then the picnic's ruined. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, like, how many times Glory has try- had to evade these chainmail fellows. Why does she keep getting sent out of her hell dimension or wherever she's from? Like, what? I, I, I just... We, I'm sure we're going to find out at a later time. Okay, great. Um, Kristen just playing the part of the first-time viewer because she right. doesn't remember right. anything. Okay. So um, we go back to the house and this is the scene. um, I can't remember what this is called, but it's like this device used in shows where the character hears the wrong part of the dialogue, right? Oh, does it have a name? I think so. I don't know. It's making me think about Joanna Robinson and conversations we had. And maybe it doesn't have a name, but I thought it did. If it does, you can let us know. Tweet at us at Bufferingcast. Okay. So... Mm. Dawn doesn't hear the, you know, she's my sister and blah, blah, blah. She doesn't hear the, I was just saying what Dawn probably feels right now. All she hears is she's not real. We're not her family. We don't even know what she is. Um, Buffy is, as she says, is giving voice to what Dawn must be feeling. But Dawn hears it as what Buffy is saying to Joyce. Yeah. So she pulls everything off of her walls. She tears her diary. Um, Anybody know what band that is that she rips a poster down of? Ooh, I didn't. I didn't see. I couldn't place it, but if you know, please let us know. <laughs> and um, then, as we learn a minute, you know, later, she sets a bunch of shit on fire in that garbage can, and she leaves, runs away. And Buffy's first reaction, <laughs> oh my god, is to be like Dawn. Her second reaction is to throw a blanket over the flame. She sees the dawn is gone. And then her third reaction is to reprise her role as the Ikea monkey and put on another big, (laughs) fluffy, tan jacket thing. Yeah. I will say also that when the fire alarm first goes off, this just made me have a good chuckle. Because when the fire alarm goes off, Buffy's like, oh, no, it's the spell that Willow and Tara set to, like, you know, because they were like, Mm -hmm. an alarm will go off if Glory breaks the barrier. And so I love that in Buffy's mind, the alarm literally would be just like a fire alarm. Sound just like a fire alarm, sure, yes. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, yes, the Ikea monkey is off to save Dawn. 
Uh, Knights of Hacky Sack. This is where we get the origin of it. Buffy says Knights of Hack and Slash. Um, and she mm-hmm. sort of is like at the helm. You do this. You stay here. You go there. Sending everybody on their tasks to save the day. And we see this shot of Dawn walking slowly through a playground. And who among us, when having an existential meltdown, has not done a slow walk of sadness and confusion through mm. our local playground? Don't you, like, was there a part of you that like, kind of thought Drusilla might be there? Because, like, this... A da- little bit. That's this, Drew's playground. Yeah, it's Drew's playground. And every time I see it, this especially at, at night... used to be Drew's playground. <laughs> used to uh. be... Drusilla, you So, okay, get a load of these fucking, thank God these experts are on the case. Giles and Xander are in one of Sunnydale's many back alleys. Giles is like looking in the dumpster. He's like looking all kinds of stupid. Um, uh, I mean, no stone unturned. To bring us back to never ending story, that is where we find what's his face. So he's hiding in the dumpster. Yeah. Uh, Tristan, Nicodemus, Aloysius. All I can think is a Treyu, but that's the other one. It's not a Treyu, that's the (laughs) other guy. Um, Okay, so they're looking for for Dawn in every possible nook and cranny. They're like, this space wouldn't fit a 14-year-old girl, but I'm going to just be certain. So, you know? Here's the thing, Jenny, is I'm going to give major points to this episode and all of its characters, except for Xander, who's been having a great streak. But this is like... The writing of Xander in this episode is, like, hearkening back, I I pause it, to, like, season two Xander bullshit because he has tickled Dawn in the beginning, which made me want to die. And then he has this moment with Giles where he's like, so you're saying, like, she's, like, a really powerful energy because, like, she has a crush on me. So, like, just so you know, powerful energies have crushes on me. And I'm like, really, dude? Counterpoint, if I may. May I? You may. Okay. So as for the tickle scene, like, I think it's really right on of you to have brought up the fact that he's, like, looking for a way to make sure that she is, like, a solid being, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's known Dawn since she was, what, like, 10? And he's always, he's, like, such a goofy guy that it seems like their relationship has been such that this would not be totally out of character for, like, them, like, horsing around or, like, goofing i'd have liked a noogie instead sure agree totally agree but it, it doesn't like ring like a danger bell it's just like wow no. everybody sure is like awkward right now as they're trying to figure out how to deal with this and then with regard <laughs> with regard to the like yeah like this feels very in xander's character where he's like when he has like a thing he can be like proud about even if it's like this bizarre sort of like mental uh obstacle course that he goes on where he's like well she is like a powerful being you know uh big magic energy and she's got a crush on of all the guys she could have a crush on she's got a crush on me and he's telling it to giles it's like a (laughs) self-fulfilling self-burn it's like dude (laughs) he's just basically giving giles the opportunity to have a hilarious reaction where he's just like i have 
no time for this. I will and, give like, you whip off. I will give you Jenny one of two. He Xander either gets to have all the memories of knowing Don forever and pull that bullshit tickle move, which I would prefer was different, or he can be rooted in that she's not a 14-year-old girl, she's a mystical blob, and be <laughs> I give you one of two. He, he does not get both in my book. So that's uh, But I, I feel like the whole point of this episode is that she is both okay. a mystical key and also a 14-year-old girl. Fine. Xander still gets a C- minus for me in this episode. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> okay, so we go to the uh we go to Drew's playground and uh Spike and Buffy are now there and Spike it says this thing that I brought up because I think it is what ties together this what is mystical, what is not. Um, you know, she is not only dealing with the fact that she is a mystical key. She is also still an actual 14-year-old uh, girl dealing with a lot of hormones and dealing with a lot of other, you know, like there's a lot going on here in the real world and in the mystical world together. And mm-hmm, Spike, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, is back in his lane of like, I'm here for Buffy. Um, and he looks at her and he says, you will find her because um, he just wants her to feel better. And then that is great. And then Buffy says... Maybe, like, I will find her, and then what? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, ooh, great yeah. question. And then we're Meanwhile. like, Buffy, don't worry. There's still um, nine more episodes of this season, so you have plenty, yeah, to, plenty for you to, to figure it out. Yeah. You yeah. <laughs> so Dawn sees an ambulance and suddenly remembers that she knows a nice, hot grown-up with a stethoscope. <laughs> She's like, let me go to the hospital where Ben and also... A lot of people who have said weird shit to me all are. Maybe yes. I can get some answers there. Yes. Um, and that's really interesting, Jenny, because that's what I thought. I was like, oh, she's going to the hospital for Ben. But then when she got there, I was like, oh, wait, she wasn't going to the hospital. Her her initial reason for going to, going to the hospital was to go to the mental ward to walk in to see if she could find out more about who she was. I don't think Ben was really part of her plan until she ran into him at the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is like... For a, better this or is, for worse. Yeah, and this is a really devastating scene um, and, and brilliantly acted by Michelle Trachtenberg as well where she's in the in the ward with all of these patients and they're all looking at her um, and she's just saying, what am I? What am I? And it's, it's just so painful because we're tying it oh. together with them all saying, like, she just needs to know her history. She needs to know who she is. Like, she has to be able to put together a picture for herself, for her to be able to even take a step forward at this point. And so the fact that she has to go here to the hospital um, to find those pieces and that she's there by herself is just like it's just so devastating. Um, and the your your best your best bud Orlando here um, mm-hmm, sort mm-hmm. of says you are you're a destroyer. Um, the key is the link, uh, and so she's obviously not thrilled with the information that she has. Jenny, do I have a, a moment to tell you about um, a little '90s rabbit hole that I fell down because of this scene? Please. So. Um, I was reading on IMDb, and one of the points that were was brought up on IMDb is that something that the um, patients in the hospital are saying is, what's the frequency? Um, and that that is a direct nod mm-hmm. to, um, well, so I thought it when I was reading, I was like, oh, yeah, direct nod to what's the frequency, Kenneth, that song that I know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know this, the, the backstory of this song and, like, where it came from? Please tell me. Okay. So, oh, I didn't know. I thought maybe you, a knowledgeable musician uh, who knows lyrics to things way more than I do and also, you know, information way more than I do, might even know. This is something that I've, like, read an article about at one point but can, but did not retain. Yeah. So, okay. So, 
you know who Dan Rather is, right? Mm-hmm. So in 1986, when he was walking to his apartment in Manhattan, um, he was attacked by a man who, um, in, in addition to, like, attacking him, screamed over and over again, Kenneth, what is the frequency? So it became this whole thing. Some people didn't believe Dan Rather's story because it was like, what the hell? And it eventually, literally over 10 years later in 1997, uh, somebody at the New York Daily News solved the mystery, if you will. Um, the man who attacked him was uh, under the impression that the NBC and other television um, establishments were using frequencies to get into his mind. Um, and so that's like where that came from. And so this whole thing inspired the chorus and the title of REM's What's the Frequency? Kenneth. <laughs> I will end this 90s rabbit hole uh, for you by saying that I think in 2008, R.E.M. played a concert at Madison Square Garden and Dan Rather came on stage and sang What's the Frequency, Kenneth, with R.E.M. Thank you very much for going on this journey with me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it just was like, wow. you know when you like click on something and then you're, you're like, what? And then you click on something else, you're like, what? And then it ends with a YouTube video and you're watching Dan Rather sing on stage with R.E.M. And you're like, I don't understand what has happened. Oh, my God. Yeah. So anyway, back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <clears throat> yes, indeed. Um, ben makes Don Coco just like Joyce made Spike Coco. We learn here oh. major difference between Don and Spike. Don hates ha. the marshmallows. Spike loves the marshmallows. Mm-hmm. They'd be great mm -hmm. if they ever have to like hang out together again. They'd be great to share um, Swiss Miss packs because Spike right. would get double the marshmallows and Don yes, could get none. And they would love that. Happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Don's pouring her little heart out to Ben. She's like, ugh, everything's difficult and Buffy and whatever. And Ben tellingly says that he has a sister. <laughs> and there have been nights he wished she didn't exist too. And Don's like, no, the problem's not Buffy. It's me. I'm just a thing the monks made so Glory couldn't find me. And Ben's like, oh, <laughs> you're the key. Ben's like, run, run. Ben's like physically trying to shove Don's words back into her mouth. He's like, stop it, stop it. Stop talking, yeah. please. I mean, yeah, we yeah, all yeah, are. Yeah. We're like, dude, not this guy. Please don't tell this guy. And then just as we are frustrated with Don because we're thinking, oh, no, Ben, I guess it's Glory's sister. Uh, we take a hard turn into Animorphs over here, uh, but it's not <laughs> Animorphs. It's uh, Ben morphing into Glory right before our very Whoa. eyes. Oh. <gasps> ben is Glory, Glory is Ben. Ben is Glory, Glory is Ben. In case you forget, I'll say it again. Ben is Glory and Glory is Ben. What the fuck? Bum, bum, bum. Yeah intense anyway um turns out these Oof. two morph into each other but as we learn very shortly after they don't hear like when one is one they're they're not retaining the information that the other has gotten thank the lord um yeah. <laughs> another convenient plot detail is that uh apparently dawn doesn't remember seeing uh ben morph into glory so hmm right so 
Glory morphs up out of Ben and is like, hey, don't I know you? <laughs> well, the first thing I think she says is, ugh, cotton. <laughs> right, right. She's taking off the scrubs and putting on her red dress. And she's like, Rah. Which Makes like your skin sing. Which like Jenny, um, minor detail is that Glory keeps a spare silk red dress in the hospital yeah. locker room for the moments so it's like, like these. <laughs> does it does does Ben slash Glory like keep the red dress in a different locker, or is there a possibility that somebody's going to see Ben's locker full of his stuff and also a red dress? I assumed that it was Glory, that like Ben didn't even Glory know. has her own locker. Yeah, Glory has her own secret locker that Ben doesn't mm-hmm. even know is there. And she's like, there's probably a couple pairs of shoes in there, you know. Right, right. So many shoes. Oh, my God. <laughs> So then she now if Dawn hasn't had a fucking bad enough day, uh, she then witnesses Glory snap the neck of a hospital employee directly in front of her, yep. which is pretty rough. Um, just yep. about at the time that the Scoobies arrive at the hospital, they are looking for Dawn and um, well, they they find her. So that's good. Yeah. Well, it helps when just as you get to the hospital, somebody walks by and is like, whoa, you got to see this guy. His head is twisted clean off (laughs) he's right up here in room 402 come get a look (laughs) and they're like well we guess glory is here um and Uh, this (laughs) right um and this continues dawn's um search for information you know we saw her first up with the patients um asking them who who am i who am i uh and then now she's with glory and and she does use her wits uh and she does kind of trick glory for a little bit here enough to get a little information from her but this is you know makes me equally as sad to watch dawn sort of say you know is it evil um and glory is like yes well actually i guess it depends on if you yourself are evil (laughs) which i am right 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 i i think uh, this is another like really incredible bit of work from from Michelle Trachtenberg just watching Mm -hmm. her face kind of like the control and the fear and the panic like she's terrified but she's like willing herself to keep it together and also like trying to control her reactions to the information that she's getting from Glory as it's coming out of Glory's mouth it's just like so yeah great and and complex and i just think she's doing such a great job yeah glory who has many nicknames of her own uh refers to dawn as tiny snapdragon which uh-huh. so far a niblet was high but tiny snapdragon might be my favorite nickname dawn has so mm. far she tells her a little bit about the key um and then is like i smell a fox in my hen house right she's on to dawn and so she's like oh i know what i'll do I will just eat you. You know, I'll, I'll suck your brain juice out because I want to piss the Slayer off anyway. And that's perfect. She doesn't get to. But I just want to know. I, I'm dying to know. What do you think would have happened if she tried to brain suck Dawn? Oh, my God. That's a great, great right? question. Like, because well, Dawn like, is human. Right. So she's got brain juice. But also, like... Has Glory touched Dawn? Yeah, I guess she has. Yeah, she right? has. I think she has. Or has she? Or has she just intimidated her by, like, basically teleporting and shit? Like, I, I, I don't know if we've seen her. T- this is this was a question that came up for me while I was watching. I was like, but she, she, how, what's up with Glory being inches away from a key and not being able to perceive it? And surely if she touched it. You think, though? Like, because, because supposedly to... 
Also, ooh, deeper question, because what I was about to say is, well, she's not a uh, necromance snake or dog, um, and she is also, um, she's she has the brain juice, but do you think that the weaker that Glory gets, the more she can see the energy of the key? Because, like, if when she takes that brain juice out of the people, they can see the energy of the key, then if she's depleting, would she see the energy of the key? She wouldn't know it if she mm. would. I think she can well. touch Dawn and, and not know, but I do wonder if it would have been like the best little happy meal she ever did eat if she like sucked the brain juice out of Dawn and then the key shimmer sort of like, you know, escaped. But she got her, she got a meal and a key all in one. Huh. Yeah. I, hmm. I know. I'm just, you know, write in with your thoughts to us, uh, buffering the vampire slayer at gmail.com. I want to know what you all think would happen. Luckily, we don't have to find out in this episode because Buffy shows up just in the nick of time and is like, importantly, get away from my sister. Yes. And also importantly, conversation's over, hell bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So much great stuff in this fight scene. Love Spike like holding Glory while Buffy punches her and he's like, thought you said this skank was tough. And then she... Pretty much immediately beats the shit out of, like, beats Spike into unconsciousness. <laughs> uh, and then says, oh, my God, if he wakes up, tell your boyfriend to watch his mouth, firing up Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, her he is not my boyfriend punch probably packs 20 to 40 percent more yes. of a wallop yes. than previous punches. Then kicks Glory and Glory is like, love your shoes. Yeah, like grabs the grabs her ankle so she can like look at the shoe for a beat. It's nice um, that for ju- once Buffy is not wearing her brown uh sensible boots. I don't think that boots. Glory would have been a fan of those. No, no, no. Um then we see uh Giles and Xander getting whooped. You can see a pretty like clear as day shot of Giles's stunt double. Oh really? <laughs> going down. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um so take take a look back at that. Um, and then flatten a clock over in uh, Queer Town. Flatten a clock in Queer Town, <laughs> it is. Uh, Tara and Willow are somehow going unnoticed as they do their vending machine magic. Mm, sometimes bisexual erasure is great for everybody. But I'm bumped. Oh my God. <laughs> I wonder if, I don't know if you noticed, but in the ward where uh, Glory's snack victims are currently mm-hmm. staying. There is a vending, inexplicably, there is a vending Stop. machine in that room. Does it say and I wonder drinks? if its proximity is giving Willow and Tara more power. Oh, my God. What? How? Listen, this episode could have only been better had their Latin o'clock summoned the vending machine once again and smashed uh, Glory with the that vending machine. pretty tight. Yeah. But instead, uh, I will say, uh, you know, we talked earlier in season four about how uh, certainly queer sex is two witches moving a vending machine by interlacing their fingers. And I will say another version of queer sex is teleportating a god into space. Right? Yes, that oh, is did correct. You, did you also like teleportating? Because I did. Yeah, well, you you got there how you needed to get there. And I <laughs> celebrate that. Um yeah, that's definitely doing it. Uh, they teleport Glory somewhere, but they don't know where. Turns out it's uh, thousands of feet above Sunnydale. <laughs> a shooting and we get god. This great, yeah, a shooting god moment. Also, Buffy, before that happens, Buffy takes, is it a crowbar that yeah. uh, 
that Glory throws and Buffy like takes it basically in the chest to protect Dawn, which I'm sure is uh, helping, mm-hmm. helping Dawn, you know, reconnect with the yeah. fact that Buffy and Joyce are her family, regardless of her origins, you know? Yeah. And it leads us, I want to say, because this is the, the last scene here, but uh, I do love before we leave teleportation. Uh, I, I think that this show in recent episodes has had some CGI oopsie daisies, if you will. Uh, and I really love how they did this teleportation of glory. I think it was done really well. Like she's like all sparkly. And then we see like the sparkly stripe in the sky and we see her kind of like reconfigure up there. And I just want to say, you know, we've given them a lot of shit about their rubber snakes with arms and such. Um, but I like (laughs) the way that this is done, um, visually. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, Buffy sort of sits up. Um, they're both bleeding. Um, and they have this conversation where Buffy explains, like, I, I, like, I protected you because I love you. Like, I want to, to protect you. You are my sister. Um, and she says, your blood is just like mine. And they sort of do this, like, blood sister moment of like clasping hands together when i was a girl when i was a young girl i always wished i could have a sister so that we could each smush our respective blood onto our palms and then (laughs) mash them together after like a particularly brutal fight with the hell god right and i think if you know not to whatever but this is like it's also it's interesting mythologically does john have buffy's blood like is that like if if they got blood tests with they with their DNA be like is that true? And regardless of if it's true, it it takes away some of the um, adoption metaphor that we had been sailing on for the episode um, because then the resolution the part of what uh, helps Buffy resolve to Dawn that she is part of family is that she has the same um, biological composition as her. That's not the only reason, but you know, just pointing out where some of these things get a little wiggly because certainly this show Mm -hmm. is a champion of chosen family um it doesn't rely on biological connections for family for connection so um buffy also ends it with a nice quip um you are my sister because there's no way you could annoy me this much if you weren't Uh, which i think is actually the most factual statement (laughs) yeah yeah that's the most telling of all the data we have so far (laughs) So yeah, and then and then we talked about it already. We learned that Dawn doesn't remember what happened. She's like, I, I know Ben was here, uh, but then I guess he left. Ben is glory, glorious Ben. Ben is glory, glorious Ben. In case you forget, I'll say it again. Ben is glory and glorious Ben. That is how the episode ends. And I mean, it's just such a doozy of an episode. And I think we mentioned either in Checkpoint or Triangle that like, oh, we are just like going into it now. There is... Just no turning around. We have a lot of intensity to move through. And this was uh, one of those intense episodes. So much. So much trauma for Dawn. Um, Somebody wrote in, and I think we talked about it a little bit, that like this is an episode where Dawn, I think, becomes more real, uh, which is hilarious since, you know, she's learning that she is, in fact, less real than she thought she was. But um, her humanity, her vulnerability, um, her mm-hmm. complexity as a character has really started to solidify here in this episode. A lot of stuff. We're walking into yeah. uh, episode 14 with a hell of a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. those nights of hacky sack. I- <laughs> well, we've reached a point in the episode where it's time to talk about a little tension, a little award. 
It's the Sexual Tension Awards. choices for you, don't we, Jenny? We really do. And I know it's a mistake to split the vote in the way that we've done, but no, I think it's great. It couldn't be avoided. I think it's great. It's good. I think it's going to really tell us a lot about our listenership. Um, Yes. In in slot number one, uh, we have Giles and Joyce, you know, because they were at the birthday party together. Gosh darn it. And who knows what they did later? Yeah. Grownups at the kid party, they get up to all kinds of nonsense. Mm Mm-hmm. In the next slot, we've got Glory and her red silk dress. Oh, hugging all of those curves. It feels so good. Third up, we have Anya and Xander, the firemen. Hot. Hot, 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 hot. Wow, that siren. (laughs) Okay, and in the fourth slot, you're welcome in advance. You can cast a vote for Anya. And Xander the Shepherd. Uh, So, please make your voice heard. Democracy works when you participate. Cast your vote (laughs) on our Twitter poll. You can find us at BufferingCast. The the poll will be up for one week. So, strike while the iron is hot. So hot that it might set off a fire (laughs) that somebody would have to put out with his Big hose. Okay. Get me oh, out of here. Wow. <laughs> Help. Well, I think we've done it. We've played the patriarchy jingle. We have discussed sexual tension. We have dug deep into the trauma that is Dawn Summers. Yep. We have learned yep. that glory is Ben and Ben is glory. We think... I'm not sure. Maybe Ben just got up and left. I don't really remember what happened. Me. Do you? You know, it's funny. I don't. Ben is glory, glorious Ben. Ben is glory, glorious Ben. In case you forget, I'll say it again. Ben is glory and glorious Ben. We'll see what happens next episode, I suppose. Indeed. Till then, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And when I'm not making this podcast, I am writing and recording songs. You can learn more about me at JennyOwenYoungs.com. You can give me a shout on Twitter at JennyOwenYoungs. You can listen to my new EP, Night Shift. And you can also listen to me talk about another petite blonde protagonist over on my podcast, Veronica Mars Investigations. And I am Kristen Russo. And when I'm not talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you can find me talking to a lot of different middle school and high school GSAs these days uh, and doing other work with LGBTQ communities. You can learn all about me and my work at kristinnoline.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. You can also use that spelling to find me on Twitter and on Instagram, places where I post pictures of things like my cats and also my cats. (laughs) Ha. Uh, Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. Or you could drop us an email at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. Yes. You could also leave us a voicemail at 21630-BUFFY. You can support the work that we do here in a variety of ways. You can go on over to our website, BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com. Click on Shop, and you can find all sorts of fun apparel, Smashing the Demon Lizard Patriarchy, Girl Gang t-shirts. We've got Great Big Snake t-shirts. 
mugs. <laughs> we've got stickers. We've got pins. We've got all sorts of fun things over there. You can also click on Patreon from our website and join our Patreon family. We have a lot of different levels of giving. You can get all sorts of fun things, uh, the songs in advance, hangouts with us, live concerts from Jenny, a book club with me. There's just a lot going on over there. Uh, or you can go over to iTunes and rate and review us or our sister pod, Angel on Top. Hell yeah. Yeah. Do all those things. Until next time. Uh,
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.